like to turn again to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Thankful for the privilege and opportunity to worship with the church today. So this morning we, we were hopefully encouraged to, to recognize that our fellowship in the gospel is made possible because of what God is doing, has done, and is doing in, in our lives and in the church. This afternoon, Paul begins um, to, to exhort the church to obedience in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And that exhortation, or those exhortations, continue through chapter 2, verse 18. And once again, I want us to recognize the encouragement that we find based upon what God is doing for us and in us from Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, now listen to verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So our fellowship in the gospel is made possible because God is working in us, completing that work as well. Now, in chapter 1, verse 27, here's the, really the overarching theme of the exhortations. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And Paul begins to delineate. He begins to show us how we live a life that is um, becoming the gospel of Christ through the different responsibilities that we have. So I want us just to, to highlight some of those areas that we are exhorted to obedience in and really close by observing the encouragement that we find, and that is because of what God is doing. So God has not left us to ourselves. Now, when I was, when I was young, my, I remember learning to swim, and uh, my, my father, he would, would put his hands up under my, my chest and stomach, and then he would tell me to kick my feet and um, um, to, uh, you know, to swim, to put forth effort with, with my hands, um, and I recognized that the, the ability to swim was because was Dad was holding me up primarily. And, and that's how it is when we look at our responsibility and sanctification, and yet at the same time that God is the one that's giving us the desire and the ability to do what He's commanded us to do. Now that illustration with my father, it falls short because there came a time when I no longer needed... Uh, my, my father to, to buoy me up, to hold his hands up under my stomach and chest because I was able to swim on, on my own. But as Christians, we recognize we never reach that point. We're always dependent upon our Heavenly Father. All right, so let's dive in. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, that word conversation there, he's speaking of our behavior. Um, let our conversation be as it becometh uh, the gospel of Christ. The word becometh there means to uh, live in a way that's uh, worthy, that's suitable 
in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So the gospel is the message that, that proclaims we have been saved through Christ. But that gospel message has implications to it. The implications concerning how we are to live. So we're saved completely uh, by the, the blood of Christ as far as our standing with God. And the gospel is very clear that we're not saved by contributing at all any righteousness of our own. We're saved by Christ alone, through faith alone. And yet there are important implications that flow out of the gospel. Um, the gospel reveals how God has redeemed us through Christ, and we need to be grounded in that. That is um, orthodoxy, the, the right belief. But out of orthodoxy flows orthopraxy, the, the correct practice, how we are to live. So Paul is wanting the church to live in a way that um, showcases, that highlights what Christ has done for them. He wants them to live in a manner that would be worthy of, of this gospel of Christ. So he begins this section by encouraging them to stand fast, unified in light of opposition. All right, so you're to um, let your conversation be, let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ when you are faced with opposition from unbelievers. So he goes on to write in verse 27, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So you are to, to uh, maintain your belief in the, the gospel corporately as a body. Verse 28, And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So this is a way to um, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's by being unified, striving together for the faith of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, holding to the gospel, not retreating when you are faced with opposition. Stand fast, be firm. Do not be terrified by your adversaries because their opposition to you, Paul writes, is an evident token of perdition. Um, the fact that they would oppose the gospel, they would oppose those that proclaim the gospel, they would oppose you when you're standing firm in the gospel, it is a, it's, a, it's a token, it's a manifestation, it's the fruit of the fact that they are lost. It's a, it's a, it's a sign of their destruction, their condemnation. However, when you are standing firm in the gospel, when you are opposed by unbelievers, even to the point of persecution, it's also an evident sign, it's, it's a, a proof of your salvation. You don't retreat. You don't recant. When you are faced with persecution, opposition, ridicule, so that's a, that's a token of, of salvation, and that of God. Uh, the salvation is, is of God, your ability to, to be unified, it's, it's of God. He goes on to write, verse 30, having the same conflict which you see in me and now here to be in me. How do we let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ? By standing firm when opposed by wicked people. 
Now beginning in chapter 2, 1 through 4, Paul is going to exhort the church to be unified. So in verses 27 through 30, it's primarily from uh, the outside opposition that you are to be firm in the gospel. Now in verses 1 through 4, it's through um, the relationships that we have within the body. So he begins, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. He's speaking of concrete, real, um, uh, real experiential um, blessings that, that we have as Christians. We've experienced all four of those. Um, we have consolation in Christ. Christ comforts us through the gospel, through his saving uh, work for us. We have the comfort of his love. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. We, we have an understanding of, of, of bowels and mercies, God's affection toward us. Now, verse 2, fulfill you my joy, which is interesting. Where's Paul writing this letter from? Anyone remember this morning? Okay, a prison. So if I was writing a letter from prison, and I wanted my joy to be fulfilled, I'd be saying, hey guys, do anything you can to get me out of here. But for Paul is, I want my joy to be complete because I want to hear that you are unified in the gospel. So that's evident how, how much more spiritually mature Paul was than I am. But this ought to be our attitude as well. Fulfill you my joy. How, how can that be accomplished? That Ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So positively, this is how you um, are to conduct yourself within the body so that your conversation becomes the gospel of Christ. Negatively, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Um, so the glory that we seek from man, it's, it's vain, it's empty. The glory that we desire, we should desire, and I think this is biblical, is the glory that comes from Christ. That is the glory that we're seeking after, Romans 2. Um, having the Lord commend us on that great day. That's, that's what allows us to be secure in our faith to Christ when, when we're serving the Lord in obscurity. Because there will come a day when we will receive glory from Christ. Any other glory is vain. So we don't want to strive after vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We want to, to look and see how God is working in the lives of other Christians, and we want to, to seek to follow that example. Look not, he goes on to write, verse 4, look not on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See how God is working in the lives of others. All right, so this is how we let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel both from, uh, in the context of what we experience from outside opposition as well as internally within the body. Now in verses 5 through 11, you know this, um, this is one of the great Christological passages in the New Testament. There's several of them, uh, like Colossians 1, 15 through 20, um, John 1 through 18, verses 1 through 18 in chapter 1. And here's another, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I would encourage you to memorize these great Christological passages. And Paul is going to hold Christ before us as the, the, the preeminent example of what it means to seek 
um, the blessing of others, uh, to look on um, uh, every man, you know, for their benefit and blessing. So he begins verse 5 with, let this mind be in you. Let this mind of selfless humility be in you, just as it was in Christ. Now again, he's going to base this exhortation upon the beauty and the wonder of the person and work of Christ. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now notice what Christ has done. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is speaking of Christ's um, eternal uh, preexistence with his Father. This is speaking of the very nature, the, the eternal person of Christ. He was in the form of God. What does it mean to be in the form of God? Well, he tells us in the next um, expression, it means to be equal with God. To be in the form of God means to be equal with God. It speaks of his divinity. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. How did he make himself of no reputation? In two ways. He took upon him the form of a servant, number one. Secondly, he was made in the likeness of men. Speaks of his uh, humanity, his incarnation. He became a servant. He became a slave, which means he, he uh, you know, divested himself of, 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 um, of riot, rights that he had. Not that he gave up his deity. Never. Jesus is always the eternal son of God. Um, but he was willing to live in abject poverty. He made himself of no reputation by taking upon him the form of a servant. So a servant, a slave was looked upon. It was looked upon in a very uh, dishonorable way. And he was willing to do that. He was made in the likeness of men. So in every way except without sin, he took upon himself a human nature. Now, I realize because of false religions and cults, we have to be careful to guard the divinity of Christ, right? But I think oftentimes we lose the humanity of Christ just because we're always seeking to protect the, the orthodox message of Christ's divinity. But Christ joined to his eternal person a human nature, which would include a human body and a human soul. Um, so we reject, as church, um, the church has um, in the past, the, the a false doctrine of um, docetism that said that Christ just appeared to be a man. No, we believe he was actually a man. Very quickly, I'm just going to read this passage to you um, to, to express um, Christ's humanity. Because this is amazing what Jesus did in order to bless others. In Luke 2.52, we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom, one, stature, two, in favor, three, with God and man. How about that? He increased in wisdom. How can, how can the eternal Son of God increase in wisdom? By becoming man, by joining humanity to his divine person. So as a, as he was growing in wisdom. He was growing in stature. So uh, physically, he was growing taller. And in favor with God and man. So in every aspect of his humanity, physically, spiritually, um, socially, he was growing because he took upon himself the nature of a man. 
because he was not simply looking after his own interests, but on the things of others. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. So he made himself of no reputation, and now he humbled himself and became obedient. But there's even a step below becoming obedient to death. It's even death on a cross. The most torturous form of death, the most degrading form of death, um, the type of death that would not have been spoken in this day in public. He, he died under the curse of God. Why? Because he was, he was seeking to bless others. That's his humility. Now, beginning with verse 9, the focus is upon what God, his Father, accomplished. So verses 6 through 8 is what Christ did in his humility. Now, in verses 9 through 11, here's what the Father did in response to Christ's humility. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What is that name? That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now Jesus, his given name, is not just recognized as a, as a mere human name. It has connotations of Lord, that he is divine. He is the God-man. So in his humiliation, he suffered death for us, but God highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every other name, his exaltation, that the whole entire universe should bow before Christ in submission and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the example that's put before us. So the next time you're struggling to, to um, um, overcome selfishness, just run to the cross and just gaze upon Christ on the cross. Read through the Gospels. Notice Christ, his entire life of suffering and how it culminated in the cross. So that's a good antidote to selfishness. Now, probably nobody here this afternoon has to worry about selfishness. But if you ever do struggle with that, just turn to Philippians chapter 2 and just, just live there for a time and ask the Spirit of God to really apply this to, to your soul. That's how we're going to let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And then if that's not enough, Paul in verses 12 and 13, verse 13 primarily, is going to show us the motivation or the encouragement. Because all of this is impossible without God's help, right? All of this is impossible. To crucify selfishness, to try to get along and be unified with other believers, not to recant and be cowardly in the face of opposition. How can we do that? So verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, wherefore, because of what Paul has written, I believe starting back in verse 27, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Our Paul says, it's not important whether I'm with you or I'm not with you. What's important is that you continue to obey God, just as you have um, in the past. As you have always obeyed, now, I believe Paul is saying, Continue to obey even more, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And for the rest of our time, I want us to notice the Christian's activity and God's activity and how God is working in our sanctification 
to make us more like Christ, enabling us to, to fulfill this overarching theme of let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. So that we don't just give up and say, it's too hard. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's too hot. It's too difficult. Um, no. Continue to do this. Uh, work out uh, your own salvation. So what in the world is Paul talking about? Work out. Uh, the word that's translated work out um, means to produce, uh, to bring about, to affect. He is stressing the thoroughness of living the Christian life. And we do that by submitting to God's word. Paul is calling upon us to continue to exercise um, strenuous energy, um, continuous effort in submitting our life to the word of God. Or, you know, if we place... The, um, the verse alongside of one another, break it down. He's saying, just as you have always obeyed, much more obey in my absence. Work out your salvation. Uh, affect it. Now, what again is he speaking of? Because this seems like it would undermine the, the doctrine of free grace, doesn't it? Work out your own salvation. Even with the definitions or synonyms I've given you, produce, affect, um, how does that not subvert the gospel of grace? Well, for one thing, Paul is not saying to non-Christians, work out your own salvation. He's speaking to professing Christians. So he's not speaking of regeneration. He's not saying be regenerated. That's the work of God. And as we mentioned this morning, certainly he's not telling them to, to work out their salvation in the sense of being right with God or just with God. We are justified completely, freely by what Christ has done for us, faith. Um, has had the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It's, it's through faith. God saves us. Um, not on account of our faith, but through faith. It's on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done. So in theological terms, we would, we would think of sanctification, perseverance. Uh, live a holy life. Continue in the way so that you experience the, the fullness of salvation, that you, that you demonstrate in your life, what God is doing in your heart. This word work out is also found in several other places in the Bible that helps us to understand the meaning of this, to affect, to produce. For instance, Romans 4.15, because the law worketh wrath. The law produces wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Or Romans 5.3, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Tribulation produces patience. How about 2 Corinthians 4.17? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we are to work out. We are to produce thoroughly this salvation. The point is, we, we keep obeying. Because this is a... This is a part of what God is doing in our sanctification as we are progressively made more and more like Christ. To be made more and more like Christ means that we have to put forth effort. We're not made more and more like Christ passively. It doesn't happen. Um, it's sink or swim. Except again, God is the one that's upholding us. 
You know, it's, 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 it's riding the bike. You're either, you know, going forward or you're, you're falling over. Well, well, Paul is saying, I want you to, to keep obeying. I want you to persevere in faith and holiness. Because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You have to strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's our responsibility, to persevere in faith and holiness, to work out our salvation, to be more and more conformed to Jesus Christ. We do not simply say, well, well God, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm tired of following you. I enjoy sin. I'm going to delve back into sin. No, that's not working out your salvation. That's not what God is producing in your life. God is at work. So, work out this salvation would be another way of saying, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. In every area of your life, you ought to be so gospel-saturated that obedience flows from it. You're persevering. You're continuing. Because without persevering in faith and holiness, there is no salvation. There is no sanctification. Now, as you've been properly taught here, we understand that we're not talking about perfection, right? We're talking about the the direction of our life. To use the the illustration, our life looks more like um, the stock market over the last 50 years. If you were looking at a graph, a lot of ups and downs. But there's a continual trend that is upward, even though there's highs and lows. And for different people, those highs and lows may be um, um, more uh, uh, dramatic, but at the same time, the Lord continues to work in us, so that is the, 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 the direction of our life. And yet, because of what God is doing, we understand that even in our sanctification, we're not undermining the grace of God. And here's the reason why, verse 13. So you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, here's the encouragement, because it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For it is God, it's God. So God is the one that's upholding us. God is the one that is keeping us. What is God doing? Well, he is enabling you to work out your own salvation, to to produce it, to to, uh, thoroughly be sanctified because he's working in you. This is a continual action of God. This morning, Philippians 1, 6, it is God that has begun a good work in you. So when he began the good work in you, he did not... Um, jump out of the process halfway through. He continues. He continues all along till he completes it. So God um, secures our working, the working out of our salvation by working in us, continually working within us. He never abandons us. And that's, that's helpful for me. Hope it's encouraging and helpful for you. Um, um, you know, God never says, well, I've had enough. You know, I'm through. Now, he, he, um, he chastens us. That's how he helps us to be partakers of his holiness so that we are sons. Um, he can chasten us. He can chasten us severely. But even that is an expression of his love. 
He works through us through the means of grace, like reading His Word, prayer, the public proclamation of His Word, the ordinances of baptism and and the Lord's Supper. All of those are ways that God works to, to sanctify us. He works in us. Here, Paul writes, He works in us both to will. So the will is the desire. It's a purposeful determination. God, according to the psalmist, He inclines our hearts unto His testimonies. So when you are able to say, I am going to purposefully read my Bible and be more committed to prayer in order to work out my salvation, underneath that is the Spirit of God. So it's, it's your purposeful determination. It, it's not a facade. It's you. But God is the one that is energizing your will so that the Word of God becomes something that is is beautiful and glorious. It, it, you, uh, God opens up our eyes so that we can behold um, the wonderful things out of His law. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that, that, you know, every day of my life, at any moment, you ask me, you know, do you enjoy reading your Bible? I'm saying, yes, it's the most wonderful experience I've had today. Sometimes it's cold and mechanical, But I recognize as I respond in obedience to God, God meets me there to make His Word beautiful and wonderful. I can do this through Christ that strengthens me. And the very fact, even though sometimes I am cold and different, the fact that I keep coming back and eventually the Word of God is is warming my soul and increasing my affection for Christ, it's because the Lord is giving me this purposeful determination to read His Word and to obey His Word Therefore, we can say, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, because God is working in us the desire. He's inclining our heart toward obedience. It's remarkable, this grace is. But not only is He working in us the desire, He's working in us to give us the ability for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to work. We could, you know, translate it in that way. God is working so that we will work. He's giving us the divine energy to carry out the purposeful determination. And that's so incredible. So he's given me the desire, and he doesn't leave it just at a desire, Okay? It's not just like, oh, God, I want to obey you, but I can't. No, God works in me the desire to obey him, and then he gives me the ability to do it. And that's the reason the doctrine of sanctification, working out our salvation or perseverance, does not undermine the doctrine of grace. It actually exalts grace because God keeps working, keeps giving us the energy, the ability. Hebrews 13, the writer recorded these words, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. So he works in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. That's obedience. How does he do it? Through Jesus Christ. It's on the basis of what Christ accomplished and what Christ secured for us. Therefore, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, Ultimately, God is glorified when we work out our salvation because God is the one that's giving us the desire and the ability, and you and I can't take any credit for it ultimately. And yet God commends us 
forward as well. It's grace. Because when we've done everything we should, we're just unprofitable servants. And yet to think about standing before the Lord, and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. But God, it was because he, well done. Um, well done. I'm just going to praise you for all eternity for this. That's what it means to be a Christian. It just keeps getting better and better. The more you, you know about God and his gracious purposes toward us. Or Colossians 1.29, speaking of Paul's ministry, but by extension and application, I think we can see how this is true of all of us. Paul said, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So as Christians, we by faith, we, we must believe what God's word teaches us. When we become weak, when we become cold, we're apathetic, we're indifferent. And, and we say, yes, by faith, I believe God is at work in my life. And when other Christians can look at my life and affirm that, because they see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel in all of these different areas, which would mean striving for it as God is working in you to do, listen to this, of His good pleasure. It's for His glory, what pleases Him, what's glorifying to Him. All right, let's close out this uh, section, this exhortation very quickly, and, and then uh, we'll go home. You just see how much we need this grace. Verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputings. Anybody guilty this past week? Any murmurs here? Murmurs can get you in serious trouble. What happened to the Israelites when they murmured? Struck down. Serious sin against God. Ingratitude. How can I, how can I go through life's difficulties without murmuring? God is at work. Helping me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, with seriousness and sobriety. So do all things without murmurings and disputings. That seems like one of the, the problems that the church at Philippi was facing. There was some disunity. So do all of these things without murmuring and disputing. Verse 15, that, here's, the, here's one of the purposes, that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And Paul seems to be alluding back to the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. Don't murmur like the Israelites murmured. Be lights that God has called you to be. See, you're lights in the world when you let your conversation be as it become the gospel of Christ. And again, that's made possible because God is at work giving you the will and the ability to do of His good pleasure. By the way, that, that's a wonderful verse that teaches what we as the church should be. Um, we're... we're Shining as lights in the world. How? Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. I love that expression, the word of life. We're holding forth, that's what the gospel is. It's the word of life. It, it, it reveals how God saves sinners. And we're to hold that forth. We're to shine that light to a dark, dark world. Okay? You say, well, I'm a Christian, and the way I express my Christianity is I sit in front of Fox News and I complain about the country. Wow, that's really making a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, why don't you get on Facebook and, you know, talk about it some too. That's, that'll, that'll really, really make Jesus look glorious. Um, no, we're to, we're to um, hold forth the gospel, the word of life, so that God might penetrate darkness 
with the, with the work of His Son changing hearts. That word holding forth also can be translated holding fast. I think both are correct. We hold forth the Word to a dying world, to a perishing world, and at the same time we hold fast to it. We're holding to it by faith. I have no other help. I have no other source of strength. I have no other source of life. It's the word of life. It's the gospel. Well, that's difficult. No, it's impossible. Except for God is working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're holding forth the word of life. Here's another one of those that statements. So do all things without murmuring that you may be blameless and harmless. You're holding forth the word of life that you may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul is saying, as you hold forth the word of life and hold to the word of life, and somehow in a way I don't understand, I admit that, uh, but Paul constantly says to those that he has been an instrument of in their conversion and their sanctification, somehow there's a way in which he is commended as well for it when the Lord returns so that he can say, I didn't labor in vain. As I glorify God for what he did in you, I receive commendation from the Lord. How is that possible? There's only one way it's possible because God is at work giving you the will and the ability to do of His good pleasure. So friends, I encourage you to maintain your fellowship in the gospel with confidence that God is working in you and will complete that work. And I also encourage you to let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ because God in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for your incredible kindness. What a pleasure it is, God. What delight it is to, to be able to be honest with you and acknowledge how desperate we are in need of, of your forgiveness and your grace. God, we've sinned. We've come short of your glory. We are so deserving of eternal condemnation. Father, we